We're glad you're here with us on a Tuesday night, whether you're joining us in the room or online. We wanna say welcome to you as we continue in our Clarity series. I wanna let you know as we get started tonight, uh, one thing that will help you is we have these uh, little handouts that you should have got one, a little timeline as you came in the door. If you didn't get one, you can still access it. Open the YouVersion Bible app, hit the More tab and go to Events. You can follow along all the sermon notes with us tonight, but we are excited to be in part three of our Clarity series as we're walking through kind of giving an overview of the Old Testament in Scripture. And uh, I just want to let you know as kind of we start out, what do we mean, okay? We're talking about the Old Testament. So if you look at your Bible, there uh, you would say that there's two sections it's divided into. You have the Old Testament, the time before Jesus, and then you have the New Testament. This is the time of Jesus's public ministry in the church after that. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And a lot of what's happening in the Old Testament is God's interaction with his chosen people, the Israelite people. And so that's what we're gonna be doing tonight. We're gonna be trekking through and, uh, and going through some of that information in order to do two things, to understand more about the character of God and hopefully to practically relate to our lives today and what we can learn about our own walk with God. And so uh, on that handout that you got, what it says is this is just a timeline, okay? And it says that it's a simplified timeline of the people of Israel, okay? A simplified timeline of God's chosen people. And so why does this matter that we would go through this? A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how sometimes the Old Testament and scripture, it could feel like going to a family reunion where you're not sure if you know everyone. And it's like, okay, where do I start? Uh, it still has meaning and purpose, but as we understand it, and as we have more clarity in regard to the Old Testament, it does a couple of things. Number one, it, it makes more sense, okay? And as it makes more sense, it becomes more meaningful. And as it becomes more meaningful, we see more of the beauty of God's word throughout scripture, how what God was doing in the Old Testament continued into the new. And the same God of the Old Testament is the same God who still loves us, cares for us, created us, wants a relationship with us today. So, so this is kind of a 30,000 foot overview of some of the happenings of the people of Israel, all right? And so tonight I have two goals. We're gonna start off a little bit more academic. We're gonna be breaking down the, uh, this trek that the people of Israel are on, and then hopefully we're gonna get a little bit more practical in looking at one of the key figures in Jewish history in Moses, okay? And we're gonna talk about that, but we're gonna start, we're gonna cover uh, the, the people of Israel really from covenant all the way to promised land, and then we're gonna talk about this key figure who we see in the New Testament also. He's referred to as a hero of the faith in Moses, and we're gonna see some practical application. We're gonna learn about the characteristics of God in this story, but we're also going to see how does that relate to us today in 2023. So that's kind of the goal of tonight. And uh, the, the message title for tonight is called, Do You Have Hidden Pride in Your Life? So I want you to keep that, tuck that away. It's going to take us a few minutes to get there, but do you have hidden pride in your life? So tuck that away. 
And in a few minutes, we're going to be getting and breaking down. What, what do we mean by that? And so as you look at this timeline, we really need to uh, kind of backtrack. And in the first two weeks of this series, if you didn't catch those first two messages, I would encourage you, go back on YouTube, Spotify, search High Street Young Adults, give them a listen. But I want to do a little bit of a recap. And I want to take you and look at uh, what is this journey that the Israelite people were on. And so the first thing that you would see on that timeline is you would see a name, Abraham, and you would see the covenant, all right? And we talked about Abraham in week one. And really what happens in Genesis chapter 12 is God makes a covenant with Abraham that really this promise, this covenant has three parts to it. He promises Abraham that uh, Abraham has no, uh, no male descendant in his household right now, right? He doesn't have anyone that he's gonna pass that along to. So Abraham is without child. God promises him, hey, you're gonna have a lineage after you. The second thing that he promises him is that, hey, this people that come after you from your lineage are going to inherit a land. And then the third thing that he says is that all the nations of the earth are gonna be blessed through you, Abraham. His name originally, when we talked about this in week one, was Abram, meaning exalted father. And God changed his name to Abraham, meaning father of the nations, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. So it's kind of a three-part covenant. He promises, hey, you're gonna have a family, okay? You might not see it right now, but you're gonna have a family. And we know that that does happen for Abraham. The second thing he promises is, hey, these people who would go on to be the Israelite people, they're gonna inherit a promised land that I have for you. And the third thing in this covenant that God says is, hey, all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. What does that mean? Well, when we talked about it, we look at, if you trek the lineage of Abraham, and we see this in Matthew chapter one, at the start of the New Testament, that when we trek that lineage, we actually see that Jesus, we can trace back through the generations. And so all the nations of the earth are blessed through Abraham because eventually we get to Jesus. And what does God use Jesus for? God sent his son to die on a cross for our sins, right? And we can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And so all parts of this promise come true, and we're gonna see tonight how all pieces of that come true. So we have this covenant that was made with Abraham. Abraham has a son, Isaac, when he's 99 years old. Isaac has a son named Jacob. From Jacob, there's 12 sons that Jacob has. And of these 12 sons that Jacob has, really when we see the tribes of Israel in the, New Te in the Old Testament, this is where they're getting their names from. It's from Jacob's son. That These are where the 12 tribes of Israel come from. So we're trekking through the book of Genesis right now. We're going through that. And in the back half of the book of Genesis, we see the story of Joseph. This is a key story, right? We're not even gonna talk about it tonight. We don't even have that much time to get into it. But Joseph is a key figure in the Old Testament. He's one of the 12 sons of Jacob, one of the 12 tribe, future tribes of Israel. And what happens with Joseph is that his brothers are jealous of him. And so Joseph, uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other brothers. And what happens is jealousy arose in that situation. And eventually what happens is his brothers become jealous to the point where they, they uh, make a plan to kill him, don't end up killing him, but he is forced into enslavement in the land of Egypt. He's sold into slavery. So Joseph goes to Egypt through a variety of circumstances. I would encourage you, go read 
read it in the back half of Genesis, Joseph ends up becoming second in command in Egypt. He's second only to Pharaoh himself. So Joseph is this guy who goes from being sold into slavery to having great favor in the land of Egypt. Eventually the family is restored. He forgives his brother. And this is where we see really the start of the Israelite people. God's chosen people, this holy nation, and they're dwelling in the land of Egypt and they have favor because Joseph had favor with Pharaoh, right? So these 12 sons, these 12 tribes of Israel, what happens is they begin multiplying and they begin growing. And uh, what's actually predicted in the book of Genesis before this happens, a couple of generations before, is that the Israelite people are gonna actually be enslaved in Egypt. And that becomes true. Because Joseph had earned favor, right? This son of Jacob, Joseph had earned favor with Pharaoh. But as all kings do, the Pharaoh died and a new king took over Egypt and he didn't know Joseph the way that he had before. And he didn't know Joseph's brothers and their people in the same way. And so what happens is the Israelite people are growing, they are multiplying, they are expanding, And what happens is this Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, what he says is, hey, we need to be careful about these people of Israel because they're gonna multiply to the point where if our enemies attack us, they're gonna join them and overthrow us. And that's what happens. And so they begin to oppress the Israelite people and they're enslaved in Egypt during this time. And they're, they're being forced to do labor and these things. And we're gonna jump back into that discussion as we get to this key figure, Moses. But as you see on this timeline, there's, this, there's a period of time where the Israelite people are in captivity, crying out to God, wondering if God hears them right, but they are trapped in this enslavement by the Egyptian nation and by Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And in on the scene comes Moses. And we're gonna jump into his story, like I said, as we continue. But Moses ends up being a key figure who God appoints to lead the Israelite people out of enslavement. Because remember what was happening in the promise, the covenant that we see in Genesis 12, is that there was a land that was promised. God promised this land to the Israelite people. And so eventually they gotta get there, right? Because if it's God's word, if that's what he said, it has to come True. And so what happens is eventually Moses leads the Israelite people. This is the Exodus, right? We see this. If you actually go to the book of Exodus, it's an Exodus of the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt and out of their enslavement. And so Moses leads the way in that. And what happens is then in the, uh, the Israelite people go into the wilderness, they flee, they've left captivity, but they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And Jared's gonna talk about this next week, but it's in the wilderness where Jared gave a message last week on the law. This is in the wilderness is when God begins to reveal his law to the people of Israel. So Jared mentioned it last week that God gave the people of Israel this law. And so when we hear the term Old Testament law, there's 613, some argue 611 commandments that God gave the Israelite people to follow. And if you remember from last week, Jared said this, is that the law could kind of be simplified into three parts. You have the 10 commandments, you have laws that guided everyday life, and then you had laws that guided worship. 
Okay, so you had commands for worship, commands for everyday life, and then the 10 commandments, which you've probably heard and we know of. And this is what made up the law. And God gave the Israelite people the law for a reason. He gave the law, and one of those key reasons was that we can't follow 613 commandments, right? Jared kind of made fun of, if you tell me one thing not to do, I'm gonna have a hard time not doing that. God gave these commandments to the people of Israel to reveal the sin of humanity because he had a master plan going, right? God had a plan that he was gonna rescue and redeem the world. And then eventually Jesus came, and in the New Testament, it's Jesus who fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law. And that's why as Christ followers today, we are not uh, subject to live under the law and we don't uh, live under those commandments because of what Jesus did on the cross. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so when we enter into a relationship with him, it's his sacrifice, us putting our faith and trust in Jesus. That's what allows us to enter into a relationship with God. But God revealed this law to the people right, to reveal their sin, and we see this happens in the wilderness. If you look at Exodus 19 and 20, this is when you actually see God giving the 10 commandments to Moses. And eventually, as we fast forward through these 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, what happens is eventually the Israelite people, under the leadership of Joshua, enter into the promised land, okay? This is important, because growing up in church, I always heard about the promised land, and I was like, cool, there's like, that sounds awesome, like a, a land with milk and honey. Yeah, I mean, sign me up for that. But I didn't really understand the importance of it. And the importance of it is, is that God promised this to the Israelite people hundreds of years before, all the way back, we see this in Genesis 12. And it reminds us of our faithfulness, that when God says something, it will happen. His word is truth. And so why do we give all of that background about the Israelite people in that timeline is because what our goal and our hope is here, all right, let's think about this, is that you would interact with God's word. So if you come and you listen and you take it in, our hope is that you would then go and you would consume God's word in an individual manner and with groups of people and in small groups, that the word of God would become part of your everyday life. And that as you grow in knowledge of it, you grow in appreciation of it, it begins to make more sense and God uses that to mold you and to change you. And I know that was a lot of information that we just went to, right? That was a lot that we just covered, but my challenge to you is this. If you feel a little bit confused, if you feel a little bit like, wow, that was a lot, I challenge you to lean into that. Because I think at one point in time in my life, I was intimidated by God's word and it was like, I, I don't know that I know as much as that person over there and what do I do with that? I challenge you, lean into that. Because that's the beauty of God's word, is that all of us are on the same page and that we're gonna be studying scripture for the rest of our lives. There'll never be a point in our life where we're like, we've got it, we've arrived, we know everything it has to offer. That's my favorite part about studying the Bible, is that it truly is living and it's active. And as we understand it better, it becomes more meaningful in our lives. We can help other people in a different manner as we understand God's word in a more powerful way. And so that's kind of a, a simplified history, right? That's a brief overview. I'd challenge you if you're like, hey, I wanna know more about that, go and read through Genesis, read through Exodus. I would challenge you, go and dive into that for yourself and see if that timeline helps to break it down for you. Now we glazed over Moses and uh, kind of the Egyptian uh, slavery that the Israelite people were in. But let's trek back to Moses. And I have three points on Moses' life. This is where we, we get to kind of some practical things here. 
When we look at Moses, I see three things in his life. The first is this, Moses had a past, okay? Do you have a past in here? Do you have things that you've done, things that you regret? Do you have things that you don't wanna tell other people about? You can relate to the story of Moses. Moses had a past. The second thing is this, is Moses had a sense of hidden pride. Really, when I look at the story of Moses, I really believe he had a sense of hidden pride. What do I mean by that? We often think of pride in our culture, and rightly so, as very overt. It's outward facing, it's boisterous, it's loud, it's this arrogance you can see just dripping off of somebody. That's what we think of as pride, and that is true. But I think there's also a piece of pride that is a little bit more covert in nature. It's a little bit more hidden. And what I mean by this is, have you ever thought about this? When you doubt in God's goodness, when you doubt in his plan, when you lack confidence in his word, I think Moses was there, and we're gonna see that through this interaction. But this is kind of a sense of pride because really when we take God's word and we take his promises and we look at them for our life and we struggle to be like, man, I don't know, God. I don't know if I believe that about myself. What we're really saying is, hey, God, I know better than you do, all right? I think all of us could say, hey, I've been there before, when we struggle to really like believe what God's word says about us, or we struggle to believe that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. When we struggle to follow God's word, sometimes we're saying, hey God, I know better than you do, and it's this sense of hidden pride in our lives, and I think it's something we have to be careful and look at and evaluate and be like, man, do I have that? I think Moses experienced a little bit this. But the third thing is that God used Moses in spite of that. Despite his past, despite his hidden pride, God still used Moses. And the same God who used Moses still wants to use you today. Let's jump into the story of Moses a little bit. And what's going on in this time is they're under slavery. The Israelite people are enslaved by Egypt. And it's gone so much to the point, there's so much fear in the nation of Egypt about the Israelite people that Pharaoh has actually given the command that, hey, he tells the Hebrew midwives. And when I say Hebrew, that's synonymous or the same as the Israelite people. He tells the Hebrew midwives, go and kill the boys who are born to the Israelite people. If a baby is born and it's a girl, you can keep it. But if it's a boy, you need to take that life. The midwives refuse to do that. And so Pharaoh issues a command to all of his people. And he says, hey, little boys, right, are to be thrown into the Nile. If you see an infant boy, you are to throw them into the Nile River. They are not to live because there was so much fear in the, Israelite na or in the Egyptian nation over the Israelite people. And so there's a Levite man, right, and a Levite woman. So Levi was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, right? And this tribe of Levi begins to grow. Well, there was a, a, a Levite husband and a Levite wife who have a boy. And this baby boy is Moses that they have. And so for three months, they, they ignore the king's uh, edict. And this is what it says in Hebrews eleven twenty three in the New Testament, in the Hall of Faith, talking about Moses' parents. It says, by faith, Moses was hidden when he was born because his parents weren't afraid of the king's edict. So Moses' parents trusted in God more than they feared. They trusted in God more than they feared the Pharaoh. And so they raised him in secret for three months until they couldn't hide him any longer. And Moses' mother takes a basket, waterproofs it, and floats it down the Nile River to the reeds where Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe. So Pharaoh's daughter, the king's daughter, comes out. She sees the basket, sends her servants to go get it. 
And uh, she sends Moses' sister to go along with to make sure and see what happens. And so Moses is spotted and she grabs the basket. Pharaoh's daughter grabs the basket, sees it, opens it up and sees that there's a child inside of it and it's Moses. And she commands the daughter, the sister of Moses, she goes, go find a Hebrew woman to nurse this boy. And so she goes and obviously Moses' sister goes and grabs uh, her mom and she actually is then nursed and paid wages to nurse Moses on behalf of Pharaoh's daughter. And so she's reunited with her son in that capacity. And as he gets older, she actually gives him back to Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter is the one who gives him the name Moses, which is the Hebrew word for drawing out because he was drawn out of the water. Now in Exodus, as the story fast forwards, it says Moses grew older. So he grew up in the king, in Pharaoh's daughter's household. And but one day he was looking over the Israelite people and he saw their oppression and he realized it. He saw it and he realized it. And what happened is he saw an Egyptian man abusing a Hebrew slave, abusing an Israelite slave. And so what he does is Moses looks both ways and he doesn't see that anyone's watching. He doesn't think anyone's watching and he actually strikes down and kills the Egyptian. Hides him in sand and he thinks no one's seen. But then the next day, he comes out and he sees two Hebrew men fighting amongst each other. And Moses says, hey, why are you guys fighting one another? And one of the Hebrew men says to him, who made you Lord and King over us? Who made you Lord and King over us? Who made you Lord and King over us? And Moses knows, and the Hebrew man says, are you gonna strike us down like you struck the Egyptian down? And Moses knows that his deed has been seen by other people. And so he flees and he leaves the country. He flees and he leaves the country. And he's gone for a long time. He actually finds a wife and um, has children. And as he's away from the Egyptian people, they're still suffering, as he's away from the Israelite people, they're still suffering at the hands of the rulers in Egypt. But one day, as Moses has gotten older, he's out in the field and he has an encounter with God. A bush is burning, but it's not being consumed with fire, all right? A bush is burning in the wilderness, but it's not being consumed by fire. And so Moses, what does he do? He goes over to it and he sees what's happening. And it's in that moment that God communicates to Moses through a burning bush. And this is what he says to him in Exodus 3, verses seven through eight. It says, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to a land, and a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perez the Hivites and the Jebusites. That's the promised land. God is saying, hey, I see them and I see, see what's happening. And this is where we begin to see that hidden pride from Moses start to well up. In Exodus 3, 10 through 12, this is what God continues to say to him. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God says, hey, you're gonna be the one who delivers the people out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? God responds with this, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Remember when God says something, it's gonna happen. Look at Moses, Moses says, who am I? When God calls him to something, he makes it about him and he says, who am I? Can you relate to that? 
Do you feel unqualified? It doesn't matter. Notice that God's response to Moses, what does he say? He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. He doesn't even answer Moses' question of who am I. God says, hey, I will be with you and that's all that matters. And the same God who promised to be with Moses in the Old Testament is the same God as he calls you to things in your life who will be with you. When you ask the question, who am I? God says, I'll be with you. He doesn't even answer the question, I will be with you. Moving on in this dialogue, we see in verse 13 of the same chapter, it says, then Moses said to God, uh, if, the people come, uh, if, the, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. I am has sent you. Now this is a Hebrew verb, right, that really means to be. And I would challenge you, we don't have time to break into it tonight, but do a word study on this. If you're interested in diving deeper, do a word study on this, this, this word to be, right, I am. What God is saying in this moment is that he is self-existent and self-sufficient, right? He's not reliant on anybody else's existence or anyone else's uh, efficiency. God is self-sufficient. He's the creator of the universe, needing nothing from us. Think about the power of that. That's hard for me to like wrap my mind around that God is existent and he doesn't rely on anything else. I rely on so much just to be able to live and to do my life, but God is not reliant upon anything because he's God. That's a power unlike anything else. And so God is telling them, hey, when they ask who sent you, tell them I am, I am who I am. The God, the creator of the universe and the creator of all people and all things is who sent you. This dialogue continues in Exodus chapter four. And uh, you know, it's just kind of funny because do you see the hidden pride that's kind of coming out? Moses has these, these doubts of God and I think he's more worried and he, he has so much doubt about himself that he's doubting what God wants to do. And God comes back to him again. I think God, this, this shows the graciousness of God to me. That God is so kind to us. He could have been, uh, he could have just struck Moses down or been like, hey, I'm gonna use somebody else. But he continues the conversation. So no matter where you're at, God's ready to continue the conversation. In Exodus 4, 1 and 2, Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? And what was in Moses' hand was a staff, and when he would throw this staff down, it would turn into a serpent. And Moses actually, it says in scripture, that he ran from it when he threw it down the first time. Can I get an amen on that? I don't mess around with snakes either. I would have been out of there as well, all right? I don't care what kind of snake it is, I don't like snakes. And so when Moses would pick it up by the tail, it would turn back to a staff. And he would take his hand and uh, he would put it inside of his garment and then when he would take it out, it would be white as snow and leprous. And when he would put it back in and take it back out, it would be clean once again. And God says, these are signs. And he gave him one other sign on top of that as well. He says, the Israelite people will know you sent me as you show them these signs. 
You know, God, in the same way, I think, looks at us today, and we have, as a believer, access to the Holy Spirit working in us, teaching us, guiding us in our lives, that we have resources at our disposal. Acts 1-8 tells us, but we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us, right? God has still equipped us and placed things in our hands. Guess what, newsflash. Every person in this audience, every person watching online, you have some sort of talent, skill, ability that you didn't do anything to earn. God has given you that, and that is what is in your hand to use, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, God will and can use you. Ephesians 2.10 says that God created you in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. That wasn't like a half-hearted promise in scripture. The promise is that there are good works out there for you to do and to complete. And God has given you resources, skills, ability, and people around you to help advance the kingdom of God. And he allows us to be a part of that. What is in our hand? God has equipped us with so much that's already in our hand. Moving on in Exodus uh, 4, 10 through 15, this is, uh, I think it starts to get kind of comical here in the story of Moses. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Moses had so much fear, so much doubt in who God was that he didn't even want to be a part of it. Maybe he was afraid to face his past. I don't know why that fear was so great for him or why he wanted to resist that so much. But one thing is certain, he wasn't relying on God's word and God, what God was saying to him. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled. Think about how long, like, that's a long time for God to get angry. I'm upset at Moses after the first time. Like, Moses, like, you're tapping him on the shoulder. That's God. He told you what to do. Like, you, you gotta do it. As Moses said, the anger was kindled against Moses. And uh, is there not Aaron, your brother? This is God talking, the Levite. I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. In the midst of all the doubting, everything that's going on, God still equips Moses and finally gives him Aaron to help in what's going on because God's word is going to come to fruition. It's Moses who's going to lead the Israelite people out of their enslavement in, in Egypt. And God promises him this and he sticks to his word. And Moses ends up leading those people and guiding them out of the land of Egypt. And I think it's such a funny thing that like God could have used anyone. God could have just found the best leader, best spoken person, most charismatic, someone with no past, but he chose to use someone in Moses who had to be abandoned as a baby, who uh, murdered someone, who didn't always, uh, we see elsewhere in the story, he wasn't always obedient to God's word and he still chose to use him. He wasn't eloquent of speech, and I think so often, you know, we look at everything, especially in our culture, and we think about all, when you look at yourself, a lot of times you think of all the negative things. Well, I can't do this like that person. I can't do that like somebody else. I'm not as skilled in this, and I'm not as good at that. And God is saying, who made you? Who cares? I made you for what I want you to do. 
And so that should take all of the pressure off of us of wondering, can God use me because of my past? Yes. Can God use me in my weaknesses? Yes. And oftentimes in your weakness is when God's power is on display at the highest level. Some of the times in my life where I feel like God has used me the most is when I have felt the weakest because when we are weak, he is still strong. What are you self-conscious about? What are, you, what are you doubting in your life that you're like, man, God, can you use me in that? God, Moses had the same things. And here's a man who eventually is listed in the hall of faith, right? The hall of fame of believers. Moses is listed in, why? Because ultimately he was obedient to God and God still used him. I love in Exodus 6, six through eight, it says, say therefore, this is Moses, and he's, he's encouraging the people of Israel as he's gone back. It says, say therefore to the people of Israel, pay attention to this and, and, and listen to how much it's about God and not about Moses. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to my people and I will be your God and you know, shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. When we become so us focused, we lose focus on God. And in the same way that God is communicating, right? In this passage right here, we need to rely on him. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about what God wants to do through us. And it's about him. It's about learning more about him, growing more in love with him and understanding more about his character, about his nature, God will take care of it. His promises remain faithful. His promises remain true from generation to generation to generation. You know, when the, the Israelite people, they were under this enslavement and this captivity, and it was God who delivered them out of it. And I think this is really a depiction to what God has delivered us from, that all of us, right, were once slaves to sin and a way of living, that all of us have that burden and that yoke of sin in our lives. And it's God who delivers us out of that through a relationship with Jesus. Jesus came, lived a perfect life on this earth, died for our sins on the cross in a payment that we couldn't make on our own. And it's he who delivered us out of that sin. And that's a promise, right? You might not feel like you deserve that or earned it. And guess what? You don't deserve it and you can't earn it, but God has given us freely that gift that we're no longer a slave to the bondage of our sin and to our brokenness because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And we can enter into a relationship with God by in humility recognizing our sin and calling on the name of the Lord. That's all it takes to be saved, is admitting your sin, believing in God, and confessing him as the Lord of your life, signing over that, confessing as Lord, signing over the authority of your life. You know, I didn't hit on it a ton, but it, even back in Exodus chapter two in this passage, it talks about how God saw the Israelite people 
and he heard their cry. He knew what they were going through. And I wonder what the Israelite people thought at that time. They're like, God, you even hearing us? You seeing us? But we know in his word that he did see the people. He saw their burdens. He saw that we were going through. He saw their weariness. And I just wanna tell you tonight that God sees you in the midst of whatever circumstances you're in. If you're burdened, if it's heavy right now, if you're tired and weary, if you feel oppressed, God is with you right now. And you might not feel like it, but he sees you and he knows you because he created you and he loves you. The same God who saw the Israelite people in their captivity, he sees you right now, regardless of you're in a season of trial, difficulty and storm, he sees you and he knows you. And ultimately, what we need is that rescue from God in a relationship with him.